Morning, guys. Uh, today is May the 23rd. Hope you're doing well today. Um, I just got back from Northeast Maryland. Uh, went up there to a pastor's conference hosted by uh, Calvary Chapel Philadelphia, Pastor Joe Foch and his congregation. There was probably, excuse me, there was probably about, I don't know, it was over a thousand guys. Um, unbelievable time. Um, had guys like uh, Rich Chafin, um, let's see, uh, David Gusick, uh, John Miller, uh, Pastor Joe didn't share, uh, but uh, just a you know awesome time. I mean, just a lot of worship, a lot of Bible teaching, a lot of fellowship. Got to catch up with some guys I haven't seen in years. Um, so uh, it was a good time. It was a great source of encouragement, and um, it started Monday at two and all day Tuesday, literally in worship until Tuesday night about eleven o'clock, <laughs> and then got up for the closing sessions. Um, Wednesday morning ended at uh, noon, so then headed back home about a five-hour drive from Central Virginia. But it was a good time, good time for all. So. Uh, last time we were together, we got down to Matthew 16, verse number 12, and uh, we looked at uh, the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, we also talked about how they demanded a sign and what all that meant. And then we get down today into Peter's confession, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 13, or chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Uh, we have what's called Peter's Confession, where he confesses that uh, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. So let's go ahead and read uh, verses 13 through 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you say? that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So here we see Peter confesses Jesus as Messiah in response, response to the Lord's question. Um, notice that Jesus was not really concerned about what others thought about him. He was more concerned about what these guys thought about him. And what's interesting is Peter's response. And this is where there's just a lot of debate as to what exactly uh, Peter is saying. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, of course, you know, when Jesus asked the question, you know, some people say, you know, that that um, that you're Elijah. Now, you remember in Malachi, I mean, the last verse of our New Testament, uh, it says that Elijah will come for the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, later on, we discussed how that uh, Jesus said John the Baptist could have been Elijah, which is a proof text for the fact that Jesus did legitimately offer them the kingdom. And I think that's overlooked um, um, by many today, that Christ did indeed legitimately offer the kingdom, which means that they could have legitimately accepted the offer. <laughs> they could have been repent. They could have repented and been baptized as a nation, and the kingdom would have been brought in. Um, it was a legitimate offer. 
So some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, come back from the dead. And others say that you're Jeremiah. And I think the reason they said Jeremiah is because Jeremiah was the weeping prophet that came, you know, and there was no repentance and kind of, you know, doom and gloom, you know. And um, so some of them associated him with Jeremiah or, you know, one of the other prophets come back. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon Peter said, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And now in response to that, and this is what we're going to focus on today, uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. There's the bone of contention. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it or hell. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So, so in response to Peter's confession, our Lord tells him that that, that knowledge did not come from flesh and blood. What knowledge? That thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That knowledge didn't come from flesh and blood, mere mortals, but it came from God the Father. Now, of course, this has generated controversy as to what it means exactly. So let's go ahead and unpack it just a little bit. He says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, and again, I don't purport to know all things and every, you know, every single view, and I don't have time for all that, but either the Lord was to me one of three things was going on here. It has to be one of them in my opinion. Either the Lord was gesturing to himself upon this rock, I'll build my church, and we're going to talk about that. Or he was referring to Peter's actual confession that uh, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Or he was referring to Peter himself, that Peter was the one that God was going to use or Christ was going to use to build his church. Now, I, I don't see room for anything else. I don't, I don't see room for a fourth option. It's one of those three. Now, as far as the first one, gesturing to himself uh, that he himself was the rock, there's some scripture for that. There's a lot of scripture for that because uh, Christ is indeed referred to as the rock. Many times you hear he is the rock of my salvation. Um, in Isaiah 28:16, therefore, <clears throat> thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of, for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Again, referring to Christ himself as a stone of stumbling. And he was a stone of stumbling. Um, in 1 Peter 2, 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Um, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. So Christ was called a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Um, also, Paul in his uh, epistles in Paul 10, 4, in second and first Corinthians 10, 4, um, and all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So, 
Now, I think it would be a little absurd to say that a literal rock <laughs> uh, followed the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. Instead, I believe it means that God provided for them while they were on their journey. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, he was their provider. Um, literally in Exodus 17:6, during their first year, and again in Numbers chapter 20, verse number 1, we can look at that in uh, Exodus 17 and verse number six it says behold I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall drink you you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink and Moses did so in the sight of the elders so again that rock was there it provided life-giving giving sustenance for the people at the beginning of their wilderness journeys. And then we end up over in Numbers. This is the last time it happened in Numbers chapter 20, verse number one. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and, and was buried there. Uh, now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spake and said, If only we had died when our, with our brethren uh, before the Lord, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Then the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them, out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and to the animals. So Moses took the rod from before the uh, took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And of course, we know this is where Moses makes a fatal uh, mistake because um, Moses gathered the assembly uh, before the rock and he said to them, "Here now, you rebels." Now that wasn't what. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what God told him to say. You rebels, must we, uh, notice the, the personal pronoun, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Again, Moses is uh, struggling uh, with anger management issues with his temper. And then Moses lifted his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly. For the congregation and their animals. Now remember the instruction was in verse number 8. Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron. Gather the congregation. Speak to the rock. <laughs> speak. Not strike. Speak the rock. Um, speak, speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water. Thus you will bring forth water unto them. Well Moses called him a bunch of rebels. Used the personal pronoun we. Um, and he smote the rock. He struck the rock with the staff. In other words, he misrepresented God before the people. And, um, and then in verse 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses and, said, and to Aaron and said, because you did not believe me 
to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I gave them. This was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was when he was hallowed among them. So we know that, again, we see the rock at the beginning of their wilderness wanderings. We see the rock at the end of their wilderness wanderings. So um, first, um, verse, the first thing we said this rock could mean is that the Lord was referring to himself as the rock. Uh, and of course, we see that in Isaiah, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Corinthians, and again in Exodus and in Numbers. Um, so, and then Paul, of course, he says he was that rock. Um, Paul in, 10, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, again, they drink of that same spiritual rock, that spiritual rock that followed them. In other words, Paul is saying also, this rock is the provider of life, uh, from beginning to end, that rock that offered you uh, physical life um, at the beginning of your wonders, wanderings, offered you uh, physical life at the end of your uh, wilderness wanderings, and he still is offering not only physical but spiritual life. So uh, that's the first one. The other one was that he was referring to Peter's actual confession. Uh, in other words, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you you have to make that confession that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's true. Um, after all, to be a part of the kingdom church of which Peter and the apostles and Christ and John the Baptist preached, you had to believe that he was indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. You had to acknowledge that. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, <laughs> and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, and even in the church of our day, the New Testament church, the body of Christ, you have to believe that, that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I mean, there has to be an acknowledgement that he is indeed the Christ. So some would say, no, it means that you have to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the Christ if you are going to be a part of the church. Um, still others will say, no, Jesus was referring to Peter. Um, and upon him, upon Peter, Christ was going to indeed uh, build his church. Um, now, you know as well as I do that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that that's the interpretation, that that Peter was indeed the first pope. I saw a Babylon, Babylonian bee this morning, and it showed some archaeologists digging up a, 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 a mitre or a mitre, which is the hat that the pope wears, and it said they had found Peter's, Peter's hat. Um, well... Um, well, no, I don't believe that that's what our Lord was saying. But in a sense, it's true because Peter was the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached that Pentecostal sermon. Now, some will say that that was the birth of the church. And I agree that it was the birth of the church in the sense of the kingdom church. Uh, and it may very well have been the beginnings of the church that you and I are a part of today, but it, 
but you have to make a distinction between the two. The death, burial, and the resurrection, the Gentile body of Christ was revealed later to the Apostle Paul, not to Peter and the Apostles on the day of Pentecost. So, so I believe the Roman Catholic interpretation uh, is false in the sense that Peter was the first pope, but it's true in the sense that Peter was the one that preached that Pentecostal sermon, and that day 3,000 were added unto them. Um, so if you look at it, I mean, all three of them um, really do uh, have meaning and have plausible um you know, truth to them. I mean, either the Lord was gesturing to himself as the rock, which he was the rock that followed them in the wilderness. He was the rock that gave them physical and spiritual life to us. Or he's referring to Peter's actual confession, which is true. You have to believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, whether you're in the kingdom church or in the church of our day. Uh, or he's referring to Peter himself. And Peter did indeed preach that Pentecostal sermon where 3,000 were added to the church that day. What must we do? Uh, you need to repent, be baptized, every one of you, for, for the, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So all three of them, in a sense, are true. Now, I wouldn't even say in a sense. I think all three of them, them are true. So, and notice he says, I will build my church. Notice my church, not my church, Dwayne's church, not you, your church. It's the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church belongs to our Lord, not to us. Even as a pastor, I'm very hesitant to use the term my church. Well, you know, my church, you know, or I would rather say the church that I pastor because <laughs> it's not my church. It's his church. And notice he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the promise that no matter how dark it gets, the church will always survive. The church will always be around. The devil will never overcome the church. God will always have a remnant, uh, his, his, his faithful. I, I believe the only time in church, uh, the only time in history that there will not be a witness for a moment, if any, would be right after the rapture. Because <laughs> right after the rapture, I mean, for a moment, and I think it'll only be a moment, there will be a time when there is really no uh, Christians, you know, uh, no part of the church left alive. Uh, certainly the kingdom church of the apostles will not, it's already gone. Uh, and the body of Christ, it'll be removed. So there will be a short time period. But even still, you have the word of God. Even then you'll have a general revelation and special revelation through his word and through creation. So, you know, is there ever a time that, that the world is without a witness? Uh, not really, you know, even though the, the humans <laughs> that have, that make up the body of Christ have disappeared for a moment, there's still general and special revelation and general and special revelation. General revelation is referring to creation, the moon, the stars, everything that God hath created. Special revelation is indeed the word of God. Uh, so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church will always be. And then another part of the verse, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's referring to Peter here. And if you go into uh, the Vatican above uh, the Pope, you know, he's wearing that fish hat, which is a reference back to Peter, who was a, who was a fisherman. Uh, there's keys above him. 
saying that, you know, the keys were given to Peter and that, and those keys have been now passed down to each consecutive Pope, to the very Pope that we have today, uh, Pope Francis. Not, that's not what that's saying. And if you look at the papacy, I mean, there's so much corruption there and has been for thousands of years, but, um, what is he referring to in regards to this, these keys? I believe that it's not to say that everyone gets in, has to come through Peter. That's why you hear the jokes, you know, man died and went to heaven and met Peter at the pearly gates. Where does that come from? Catholic teaching <laughs> that the only way you're going to be able to get in is Peter. Um, but that Peter would be used. That's what it's saying is that Peter will be used to open the doors of the kingdom, the key to open the doors of the kingdom. And historically, Peter was used to open the door of the kingdom to um, the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Uh, in Acts 2, 38, 39, then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So and so Peter basically used the first key uh, for the house of Israel on the day of Pentecost. And I would say Peter used the second key when he went to Cornelius, the Gentile, and preached the gospel to him, the gospel of the kingdom to him, repent and be baptized. So I believe that it was fulfilled in Peter at Pentecost and with Cornelius. You know, there's only two types of people in this world, Jew and Gentile, you know, in a, in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense, there's saints and there's saints, <laughs> you know, but Peter was used. He used those keys to, to preach uh, the gospel of the kingdom to the Jew and the Gentile. And then the final part of that verse says, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now, our Pentecostal brethren really like to latch onto this and start binding and loosing things, but let's get it in context here. Jesus was giving Peter and the other apostles the ability to set authoritative boundaries for the church. Um, think about at the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, 22, then it pleased the apostles and the elders. Bear in mind, Jesus wasn't around, you know, Jesus was already off the scene, but it was the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren and they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren that, are, that were of the Gentiles. And bear in mind, when Paul went out, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he comes back to Jerusalem and he says, guys, God has given the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's where you really have to differentiate between the two. Um, you have to. There's no way around it. I mean, Paul preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The apostles did not teach that. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was no death, burial, and resurrection. And even after Pentecost, there was a death, a burial, and a resurrection. But they were still preaching the same gospel they were preaching in Matthew, Luke, and John. There has to be a distinction between the two. Uh, one's for Gentiles, one's for Jews, period. Um, and a 
course, they said, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their lives. Uh, therefore, you know, this is what we command. You need to abstain from things that are offered to idols. You need to abstain from blood and things that are strangled from sexual immorality. Keep yourselves from these and you'll do well. Farewell. You know, those were, you know, um, them using that authority that was given to, that was given to them uh, here in these verses. It was that authority. Um, let's get back to my notes here. Um, and then also, and you remember Paul used this authority in 1 Corinthians 7.10, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. So again, Paul is using that authority, that apostolic authority that had been given to him. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And also in 1 Corinthians 7, 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. But again, Paul's apostolic authority was sufficient. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So I believe that's what that verse, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And then finally, as we unpack these verses, then charged his disciples that they should tell no man. Why would he do that? I believe, and I, I'm sure I've mentioned this previously, but the Lord did not want to rush the hour of the cross. He knew that he had a certain amount of time that he had to use, and he didn't want to rush the hour of the cross. Because if you look throughout um, the Gospels, uh, several times he said, go and tell no man. Go and tell no man, you know. And of course, most of the time they went, excuse me, and told everybody. But why would he have done that? Because he knew they would be looking for him. They would be pushing him into um, taking a physical kingdom, uh, which is not what he, he, he did not want to be forced into that. I mean, the rejection had already taken place. He knew that that was not going to happen. So many would say he just did not want to rush the hour of the cross. And again, that's, you know, that's speculation on, on my part. But I believe that's what that's why the Lord did that. So there's Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.